Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Ah, yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details there is a a real feeling here that there are two candidates and they are so similar and i'm going to set the room for you just so you kind of know cpac if you don't know what cpac is uh it is the premier conservative uh gathering every year it is traditionally been done in washington dc which is where we are right now and the presidency comes through cpac uh, if you're running for president, this is where you show up. There are some people that don't show up on purpose because they don't want to lose a straw poll. That's been a strategy in the past. Donald Trump is speaking here on Sunday. Now, Governor DeSantis, who has spoken at CPAC several years in a row, is uh, is an individual that is, I don't think, here. And the reason why some people are saying is because he's running for president and he doesn't want to lose the straw poll to Donald Trump on Sunday. The straw poll will be reported on by the media. If you do well in that straw poll, people feel like you have the base behind you. Uh, and it's an interesting strategy uh, to see, you know, do you show up? Do you not show up? I think this is going to be a very small field. My gut is right now, this is a two-man race. The two men are DeSantis and Donald Trump. That is the feeling from people that are very well connected to both camps. And I feel very confident in telling you, uh, this audience, early on, that Governor DeSantis is running for President of the United States of America. Uh, he's doing all of the things that you do when you're thinking about running for President of the United States of America. He is trying to figure out this donor base. Uh, there's also a competing conservative event this weekend, which is more of the establishment, I would call it the Jeb Bush wing of the party. It is called Club for Growth. They are having a fundraiser retreat uh, for the big people to come in and speak. Everyone that's wanting to run for president will be there. They go in. It's a very small, intimate group of high wealth uh, individuals, and they basically look at the candidates, all of those thinking about coming and running. Nikki Haley, the, all of them show up. Some of those that have been mentioned or people are, are, are talking about also show up as well. And they kind of decide, all right, where's the money going to go? A lot of them don't like wasting their money uh, by going toe to toe with a friend and or colleagues in their business and one of the things that they do is they sit there they look and then they a lot of these donors will sit down at dinner afterwards or breakfast or lunch before they leave 
and they will coalesce their funds around a candidate. So you think about this weekend, and and from here until Sunday, this will probably go down in history as the most important three days, four days for the entire GOP Republican field. Um, having Club for Growth on the same weekend, they did that on purpose. They are different than CPAC. They look at themselves different than CPAC. They clearly were trying to undercut CPAC's influence on the hardcore conservative movement. I think that's pretty obvious. And this is something that, I, that they are trying to distinguish themselves. Now, Club for Growth is also, um, they are, I will say this, they are more, we either want a candidate and we want to coalesce behind a candidate early. They don't like primaries that get expensive. They don't want to waste their money, these individuals do not like to waste, as they would describe it, their money on fighting it out in a primary because then there's then they got to re-up everybody after the general and when we find out who our chosen candidate is. At Club for Growth, they are this is a financial decision making for them. Why, you know, how do we get rid of everybody that we don't like early on and coalesce behind one person so we have the money in the general? There are others that believe that money should not, and that mentality should not buy the presidency. Um, and there are people that look at it that way, and that's how they describe it. That's how they. That's what they believe is that this should not be a a mentality where financials come into pig and can it. Let me give you a great example of that historically. Mitt Romney um, was the Club for Growth ass candidate. He was the safe pick. He was a guy that was uh, self, you know, financially, he had plenty of cash. He could influence his own campaign with financial, you know, writing checks to his own campaign. He had a lot of high net worth donors. He was connected financially and he had a base financially. He did not have a base of voters. And that was the problem that I had with him when he ran. He was not a guy that you saw and go, wow, this guy's really impressive. He was not a guy that you looked at and you said, man, Mitt Romney's somebody I think can really get a room fired up. I watched him you know, fall flat in many speeches that should have been rock star speeches to a, a conservative group of individuals. And, and we now know who Mitt Romney really is. But the money chose Mitt Romney. That's how Mitt Romney got that nomination. Uh, you look at Rick Santorum, and I did not go with Romney. I went with Santorum. I love Rick Santorum. I uh, actually had dinner with him a couple weeks ago here in Washington, D.C. Um, we've traveled the world together. We've literally gone to, to Hungary, to Budapest, to speak at CPAC Hungary. And he's an individual who's a true believer, a true conservative. But the problem was the money had backed Romney. If that money, and they got it wrong, I want to be clear about that, okay? They got it wrong. If that money would have not coalesced behind Mitt Romney, when it went for Mitt Romney, when the money went to Mitt Romney, that was a disaster for DeSantis because now you're trying to win an election with all of the big donors going to the other team, the, quote, safe bet. If that would have happened, if that would have happened, okay, if there would have been a blunt conversation that the donors would have had and realized they got it wrong and they would have switched their support, I think that Santorum would have won that nomination. DeSantis and Trump... If right now you had to walk into a polling booth, right now, and there were two names on there, and if you had to walk in today 
and there was Trump and DeSantis, who would you push that button for? Because th- th- what's crazy is about this, and I haven't seen this. I've done several presidential campaigns. Uh, I-, I was surrogate on the Bush campaign of four. I- I've done several campaigns since then. Uh, helped with Senator Cruz's campaign, obviously, in, in 16. Um, helped with Rick Santorum's campaign before that. So I have done the presidential campaign circuit. And usually there's very distinctive things between candidates. There was very, it was a very easy compare and contrast between Rick Santorum, for example, and Mitt Romney. There's a very easy contrast between Jeb Bush, right, the establishment money candidate, and Donald Trump. Things got a little bit closer together, obviously, when it was Trump and Cruz at the end. There was their core differences. There, there were some, you know, I think personal, uh, you know, there were some legal differences between them, constitutional differences. But overall, there really wasn't that much. You look, I mean, and, and one was a senator and one was in politics. And, and there were differences as in people were like, I don't know if I trust Donald Trump to be a conservative. Clearly, he ended up being a conservative after he was a liberal. Thank the Lord. He did amazing things. But you look at right now, and if you said to me, I, I, I got, I'll give you a great example. Um, John Stewart, I'm doing an interview uh, with John Stewart for Comedy Central. And if they ask me the question, who's got the advantage? I don't, yes, Donald Trump's former president, that's advantage to him. But I'm talking about on policy. They're virtually the same exact person, which is crazy. It, uh, they are so close to one another. And that's where I don't know. Like, I really don't know which one people like over the other. So there's a big fight happening right now. Does the money pick the candidate or do the activists pick the candidate? That's kind of the lay of the land here from CPAC. What's happening right now? Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Uh, Gordon Chang is with me, the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Uh, he is a friend of mine. We get to hang out a couple times a year together. Always a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you so much, Ben. All right, we're going rapid fire. I'm going to give you accolades. We're going to give out your Twitter account at the end, so get ready for that. But this is a guy that's an expert on China. He knows a hell of a lot about it. I love getting insight from him. So let's talk about China right now, and I'm going to go through the list quickly. Let's talk about the Captain Obvious moment, the fact that COVID and the U.S. government now, two, from two different agencies, Department of Energy and the FBI, are admitting now that COVID origins, it came from China. It didn't come from a wet market. It came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, how under, I, I mean, I'm not shocked by this. Uh, many called this three years ago, and if you said it, you were conspiracy theory. Are you shocked, though, how much our government seems to be protecting China right now and also our media is protecting China and the narrative they want out there? I'm shocked. Biden had five phone or video conferences with Chinese ruler Xi Jinping, and then he had an in-person meeting last November at the G20 in Bali. Not once did Biden raise the issues, uh, it raised the origin of COVID-19. That's something that's killed 1,120,000 Americans and Biden wasn't curious about it. Is that because you believe he's compromised by China? I go back to the money. I go back to Hunter Biden. 
I, I don't understand why any American leader wouldn't bring that up unless they're, they're compromised, their family is compromised in the way that their son is with CEFE, et cetera. I think so, but I also think there's other reasons. And you know, that Biden is stuck in the 40 years past view of China so that, you know, you try to talk to the Chinese. And I guess he feels that if he raises the issue, that they're going to stop talking to him. I don't know what it is. It's But whatever it is, Ben, it is wrong. It is strategically wrong. It is morally wrong. We're talking about Americans who have died from a disease that should never have left central China. They didn't protect the world. Uh, I have a theory on that. And they said basically, oh, crap, this thing's gotten out. And if we're going down and they knew how bad it was going to be because they knew from the lab and I'm sure the people working the lab explained how bad this is going to be. They basically said, if we're going down, our economy is going down and we're going to go into lockdowns and the rest of the world is going to do the exact same damn thing we are. So we're still on a level playing field. Absolutely. For at least three weeks in January 2020 and maybe even two weeks in December of 2019, they lied to the world. They knew how contagious this was. They told the world it was not transmissible human to human. And, and then, they knew it was. And they knew it was. They knew at least since the second week of December of 2020 that this was contagious. They knew or they should have known. And then we know that in that three or maybe five week period, they were lying to the world. So we know at least three weeks, probably five. Let's talk about uh, Dr. Fauci. When do you think he knew how bad this was? Because he From was from the get go. So he knew because he had the tight relationships with Wuhan Institute of Virology. We were sending money there. And and should we have ever been sending money there? Absolutely not. Remember, in 2014, the Obama administration did something really terrific. They imposed a moratorium on the funding of -of gain-of-function research with federal money on U.S. soil. They knew it was too dangerous. They did something that very few governments do. They, They decided not to do something they could do. So what did Fauci do? He outsourced this to a Chinese biological weapons lab. So that's literally why we started sending the money is because you weren't allowed to do it in America. That's right. And, and remember, there are two scientific papers, both published 2016-2017, from researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, clearly describing gain-of-function research, both papers specifically acknowledging funding from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which then Fauci headed. Let's talk about China from a national security standpoint now, these balloons that have been coming over. The fact that we didn't shoot it down um, and let it do it, it complete its mission and then we shot it down. What does that say about our, our intelligence apparatus? And do you believe that they didn't shoot it down as they claim, well, we didn't want it to fall on people? Is that a plausible explanation for you in any scenario? Um, no. Remember... The U.S. military tracked this balloon when it took off at Hainan Island in China. And remember that it first entered U.S. territorial airspace on January 28th. They did not, in the Pentagon, notify Biden until four days later, on the fourth day of the intrusion. That balloon, during those four days before notification of the president, traveled over Alaska in the Aleutians, up to the Alaskan landmass, and then down through western Canada. They could have shot that balloon down at any time over uninhabited territory. They told the president when it entered the lower 48 states, I think they could have shot it down over Montana. But, you know, then they say, okay, we don't want it to hit people. Sort of plausible, but wrong decision nonetheless. 
I believe that, well, if I were president, I would fire both the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for allowing a large Chinese object to transverse America, surveil our sites, and we should have shot it down as soon as it hit the 12-mile limit off the Aleutians. Somebody's head has got to go. And it's not going to. I think you and I both know that as well. Right. I mean, they won't do that. But clearly there needs to be accountability in the Pentagon because at least for those four days, when this thing was over U.S. territorial airspace, they didn't do anything. They didn't tell the president. They didn't shoot it down. Inexplicable, inexcusable. Let's talk about this unnatural alliance that is now uh, China and Russia being forced into becoming good friends and allies. Uh, it's all under the cover of, obviously, the war in Ukraine. China is helping Russia. Russia is going to help China. Uh, we push them and force them together in an unnatural alliance. How concerned are you about them teaming up together, not just from possible sharing intelligence, but also from you've got one of the most powerful economies in the world, no doubt about it, and teaming up with a massive nuclear power, which is Russia? Yeah, um they now have a durable relationship. And, you know, the Biden Explain what you mean by that, because a lot of people don't understand what they didn't have before. Well, right now, um, China is all in on Russia. And so we can see this in any number of different ways. But, of course, let's talk about Ukraine, because you mentioned it. You know, the Biden administration says that the Chinese are contemplating giving lethal assistance to Russia. Well, they've been doing that from the very beginning of this war, Ben. Um, and, you know, I... I I don't know what's going on in the Biden administration, but they're obviously not telling the American people the truth. Now, they could say, well, we, for various reasons, don't want to punish China, but they've got to tell the American people what they're doing. Now, I believe you've got to impose costs on China for doing this because it is crossed what the Biden administration said is a red line. But what we have is the Biden team, they are not imposing those costs and they are not telling the truth to the American people. Those are two sins. Last question for you, because I know you got to run, but I want to get this one in there. What are the chances that China t goes into Taiwan, and what is the calculus now? Because America's not going to stop them, and if America's not going to stop them, and we're not going to get into that war, and many other countries are not going to follow, is this really just that they decide they want to be alienated by the world and have sanctions? Because that's what it is. It's sanctions at that point, right? Yeah. The, Xi Jinping is trying to sanction-proof this regime. You know... We, we don't know what's inside his Which head. is a smart move, by the way, if you're China. If you're China. If you're China, it's a brilliant move. You, it, it, and sanction-proofing your regime means America can act out on us, sanction us, and we're still going to be humming. Right. Um, we know what Xi Jinping is doing. Fastest military buildup since the Second World War. Sanction-proofing his regime. Mobilizing China's civilians for war. And in October, he picked what is now called the War Cabinet. This guy wants to go to war. Now, I'm not saying he will, but the point is he's preparing to, and we're not acknowledging what the Chinese are doing. Again, you got a Biden administration that says, oh, they won't even call them an adversary in the White House. They say, well, they're competitors. No, they're not competitors. They have talked about destroying the United States of America. They've been killing Americans with fentanyl and COVID-19. I won't get too more excited, but the point is somebody in the White House needs to get a pulse. Yeah. Now, give out your Twitter address real quick for everybody that can follow you. At Gordon G. Chang. G-O-R-D-O-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. -G. Gordon, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Ben. I want to pivot to another important issue, and this is going to affect this election. 
I want to talk a little bit more about this in depth uh, with U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, who's here at CPAC Center. It's always a pleasure to see you. It is always good to join you. It, I know Thank I'm going to so see much. you once a year at CPAC, <laughs> no matter what. It's like it's a way to check pulses and make sure everyone's still alive. Like you're alive, you're alive. Uh, there is a very interesting week happening. I'm just going to pick your brain on this because I love it. And, and if you're political, you love it. You've got CPAC. You've got Club for Growth. You've got people trying to figure out who the next Republican leader is going to be. You have clearly DeSantis lining everything up. How intriguing is this moment from your perspective? Because it does feel like we have some momentum going into 2024. That's obviously good for you guys taking back control of the Senate. I'm sure that has to interest you just from that aspect alone. Of course it does. And it has been such an interesting week. When you look at CPAC and, of course, Club for Growth and uh, how we'll be there with Tennesseans that are a part of all of this. And then also the hearings we've had in D.C. this week. At Commerce Committee yesterday, we had the uh, hearing on Phil Washington, who wants to go to the FAA. and Totally uh, unqualified, by the way. Totally unqualified. I honor the service as a command sergeant major that he has given our country. But he could not answer my basic questions. Give an example. I'd play it, but I read you tell me, explain it again, because I I watched yesterday. Yes, and the fact that he could not tell me that DEI was going to be uh, something that was lesser and safety was going to be primary. I mean, this is... uh, This goes back to the Mayor Pete scenario. Right, Mayor Pete's a nice guy. I actually think he's a nice guy. I've met him a couple times. He's a nice guy. Totally unqualified to have... Totally his job in our government and in transportation. This is a worse ex- yeah, example. Yeah, this is the FAA. This is, we have had seven near misses in our skies this Recently, year. Seven. Yeah. Seven. And uh, just this week had one from Nashville to Boston, a jet blue flight that nearly collided on landing with the plane that was taking off yeah. at Boston Logan. So people want competence. They want somebody who's paying attention to details and is and, qualified. And, and, and just to be clear, he has no experience in the sector at all. None. He Zero. has been at LAX. He's been at Denver. And he had problems and was listed in lawsuits at each of those. So good man, probably honorable service to our country. The other hearing we had yesterday at Judiciary Committee was with Merrick Garland. And I went after him about two tiers of justice, two tiers of investigation. It depends on if you're a person of faith, a pro-life person, a conservative values. You get one DOJ. If you're a liberal elite politically connected, you get another. Per example is the abortion clinics, the bombings of abortion, of pro-life centers, not investigated by the DOJ. That was a big issue yesterday with the attorney general how angry are you knowing that he refused garland refuses to admit that there's two different justice systems if you are a pastor for example or a minister that goes out and prays and someone pushes your kid we have like a legit swat team come into your house to arrest you even though he's willing to turn himself in for these assault charges meanwhile if you go and firebomb a pro-life clinic they do nothing at the DOJ. They do nothing. And when I asked him about that in the clinic in Nashville, the Hope Clinic, I said, you know, Jane's Revenge spray painted their name on the building. Jane's Revenge was here. But you say you can't find these people. And his 
answer was so frivolous. He said, well, crimes that are committed in the dark, they are harder to find those people. And people that are out protesting during the day, you can see their faces and get those pictures and find them. And I told him, Jane's revenge is all over social media. And so my team and I are, we're going to step up and help him and help the FBI find these people. They are all over social media. Do you buy that excuse? I mean, to me, it's, it, it, I would be insulted if I was a member of Congress and you have a DOJ saying, basically, we only can really go after criminals in the daylight and we can at night. I, it was so insulting. And people know that that's not right. And I also asked him about the document request because he gave uh, the Democrats everything they wanted for the January 6th committee, but he has stonewalled Chairman Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee when they're asking for information about Joe Biden's uh, classified documents. And he said, well, that's an ongoing investigation. I said, well, January 6th is an ongoing investigation, but you complied with the request anyway. There again, two different systems, two different types of investigations for a very similarly situated event. Last question for you. I know you got to go. You you mentioned January 6th, declassification of the documents, all the video being able to be seen. You think this is a transparency issue, obviously, but there's one question they've not answered yet. How many FBI agents were there at January 6th? How many were undercover? How many may have informed Ray Epps is a, is a name that's become more yeah. and more famous. They refuse to answer question about Ray Epps or any other people that were undercover at, working on behalf of the federal government, maybe to even help incite what was going on in that crowd. Well, that and this is, this is why Speaker McCarthy has turned over so much of that video. And it is why House Oversight and House Judiciary is working on it to get those answers. It's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. Yes, As it always, is. pleasure to see you. Thank you for coming on. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. I guess for me, Katie McFarland, former Deputy National Security Advisor of the United States under Donald Trump. I love CPAC, uh, KT, because here is when I get to meet with a lot of different people that I worked with, whether it was back in the Bush administration days. It's, it's kind of like a homecoming. And there's a lot of guys that I talk to and, and ladies here that work in national security, CIA, FBI, um, you know, Pentagon, and I ask them every year. It's almost like a checkup of the doctor. All right, how are we on the world stage? This year, obviously, there's a lot to ask. We were having cigars last night with some people that I, I trust. And we were chatting about national security and the issue of World War III. There's a lot of people that are saying we're getting closer to World War III. In your opinion, this, this conflict between Russia and Ukraine, now all of Europe getting in, the president sending these bank blank checks to Ukraine, now the idea of, of F-16s, and missile defense systems and everything else. Could this escalate, and how concerned are you about it, it turning into an actual World War III? I, and, and your assessment of Vladimir Putin as well. I do think for the first time in my adult lifetime, certainly since the Cold War, but probably even going back to the 60s, we're at the most dangerous moment, and here's why. 
we, you know, a year ago at CPAC, when Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia thought, easy peasy, we'll be in in three days, the Zelensky government will be toppled, we'll put a puppet government in, we'll control Ukraine. Didn't happen. Why? Because turns out the Russian military wasn't that any good, despite their major military buildup. It turned out that the Ukrainian people fought back, and it turned out that Europe, which everyone thought had been sort of sleeping along and no longer armed, no longer worried about a Russian threat, they actually rose to the occasion. And so a number of things happened. Now we are a year later, and what are we in? We're in a frozen conflict. It's like World War I in the trenches. You know, the Russians are going to take a little bit, then, the, then Zelensky takes a little bit, then the Chinese contribute, then we put stuff in. And so it's escalating, but it's still at a stalemate. I think when you look down the road, how long is this going to take to, quote, win, and what is winning? Yeah, you, what is the definition what of is winning? winning? Right? I mean, if you look at President Biden, who says, well, Putin's got to go, if you look at Zelensky, who says unconditional surrender on the part of the Russians, if you look at Putin, who says, I'm not going anywhere and I'll do anything I can to stay in power and to prevail in my objectives, then add on top of it the most important factor that nobody talks about, which is oil and natural gas. Putin could not have invaded. When you said earlier that Vladimir Putin was kept in check by Donald Trump, yeah, he was kept in check, but he was also kept broke. Russia, if Energy prices are high. Russia, which is the, a world exporter of oil and natural gas, they're rich. And what do they do when they're rich for the last 50 years? They build a military, they invade a neighbor, they have a proxy war. Under Trump, they were broke because we had American oil and natural gas fracking. We pushed and the low, price. And low oil prices per barrel. Lowest oil prices per barrel. Vladimir Putin may have wanted to invade the moon. He couldn't afford to do anything because he didn't have the excess money. Biden comes in, ends the war on America. He starts a war on American fossil fuels. World production goes way, 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 way down. Yeah, pipeline, everything that Donald Trump did, they basically said undo it when it comes to right. oil and gas and resources here. Yeah. So we're going to reduce the world production of oil and natural gas because we're going to take America's hands and tie it behind our back. As a result, prices go sky high. Vladimir Putin says, why not? This is my moment. I've got a little extra cash. Let me go after Ukraine. So here we are now. Vladimir Putin, despite the sanctions of the Biden administration, despite all the things they've thrown against, the Russian economy right now is doing better than a lot of European economies. So Russia is not feeling... Russia can fight forever. As long as, long as, as they have oil prices yes, up. Yes. Bingo. As long as oil prices are up, Russia can fight forever. So I look at that and say, mm, one side wants unconditional surrender. The other side says, I can fight forever. I don't have any compunction about destroying Ukraine. I think we're now increasingly getting to two alternative outcomes of this. One, that Putin, again, fighting forever, all the money in the world, completely destroys Ukraine, kills every man, woman, child, flattens it. He has a history of doing that in Chechnya throughout his career. Yeah, if He'd I can't do that, have it, if I, can, if I I'm have it, no one can. Yeah, this is like the jealous lover, right, who says, if, you, if I can't have her, I'm going to shoot him. Yeah. And so that's what Putin's objective is. Now, on the other hand, we have the United States saying unconditional surrender, unconditional surrender. Where is the alternative here? So on one hand, you got a guy who's willing to flatten the country, and then unconditional surrender, as escalation goes on, means an involvement of NATO and the United States, World War III. I don't like either of those options. And what I learned in the Reagan administration, where I earned my spurs, was you find a third option. And the third option is you bankrupt Russia. So what you said a second ago... If you could push those prices of oil back down to where they were under Trump, 
Russia's broke. They may want to fight forever, but they can't, can't fight. afford it. Can't afford it. They can't even afford it. They're out of there in a couple months. So they have Charlie, to negotiate. Charlie Wilson did this in Afghanistan with the yes, Russians. Yes, exactly, exactly. He basically said, we, 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 can, we can beat them by giving basic fighting um, equipment to the Mujahideen, to these guys that were on camels. And as long as they can just aim and shoot down the helicopters, if you've never watched the movie, it's a great movie, Charlie Wilson's War. You should go watch it. But it was just being smart enough to realize you could bankrupt Russia. Russia pulled out of Afghanistan, not because necessarily they were losing. It's because they just couldn't afford it anymore. There are a lot of ways to win a war. You don't have to fight to win a war, as we know with the Cold War. We won it without firing a shot. You win it economically, which is our strong suit. So a new American president comes in, stops the war on fossil fuels, energy prices go back and go back down, Putin's bankrupt, can't continue to fight. Then he negotiates the solution, and then the next step, and this is where the important part is, Ukraine can't win the war, they can win the peace. Russia can't win the war, they can always lose the peace. So five years after the war f- stops, fast forward, what happens? Ukraine is fully integrated into the European economy. Europe is in NATO. Europe is so... It'll be like being Germany or Poland. Nobody, Vladimir Putin, even if he had the money, couldn't invade. On the other hand, where's Vladimir Putin in Russia? They're broke. They can't do anything. Pariah state. Nobody invests in them. So then you've, you may not have won the unconditional surrender that the Biden administration wants, but you get the outcome you want. Let's talk about, uh, you mentioned Ronald Reagan, strength through peace without ever sh- firing a shot. I worry about Vladimir Putin and the changing of his mindset. And, and I want to talk about his health for a second. I may be wrong, and I want your opinion on this, but my gut is he, he's starting to understand he's getting older. He's starting to have some health issues. And he's like, I want my manifest destiny, my legacy to be that I put the USSR back together. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's rational in this war with Ukraine. If he was, I think he'd be doing it differently. And I think he doesn't care if he bankrupts his country if this is his legacy he's taking back and putting pieces of the pie back together. How much does it concern you with nuclear weapons with Vladimir Putin if, in fact, it is more of a manifest destiny for him where he's not trying to hold on to power for 20 more years? It may be a year or two that he has left to really do whatever it is he wants to do for his legacy. Do you think he is at a point now where he would actually use nuclear weapons because I didn't think he was five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, 15 or 20 because he was younger. He was more, he was more, he, he understood like if I do that, I'm in deep trouble. Now I don't know if there's enough time to hold him accountable in his, as a human being. If he does go there, are you worried about nuclear war with him at all? I'm worried that Vladimir Putin, who does have this manifest destiny, has to achieve it in his lifetime who understands that if he comes home an unconditional surrender and defeat, as the Biden administration wants, he does not stay alive. He gets either pushed out of office or a bullet in the head. And for him, there's absolutely no restraint. There's all bets are off. If I'm going down, I'm not going down alone. And that is a worry that I have not had. I have not I, had I, that I, since yeah, the Cold War, before I, I, the Cold War. Yeah, my biggest worry was post 9-11 certainly was a dirty bomb. Right. Yeah. A bad actor. Yeah. And that's what that when we went to the Middle East, that was the argument. Right. A bad, a dirty bomb, you know, biological, chemical weapons, nuclear Iran brings me back to Iran for a moment. We know Iran now is aligned with Russia. Iranian drones are being used in Russia and Iran is much, much, much closer than they've been in my entire lifetime to having their own nuclear weapon. Yes. And no one seems to be covering that in the media. No, it's not the bright, shiny object. The world is falling into two camps. 
And on one side, you have China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. They have nuclear weapons. They have a lot of money. They have technology. We and, and they have will. I mean, they have a concerted effort that what their job is is to control the world, dominate the world. On the other hand, we have the United States. We have our Asian allies. We have our European allies. We don't have an American leadership who says, okay, here's the plan. The plan is let's use what we're really good at, technology, economy, trade, our economic system, our political system, our freedoms. And that's where I, I really worry we've got a dangerous time in the next year and a half until we get a new American president who, like Reagan, says, this is our time, let's bring everybody together and stand up to the bad guys and fight them on the grounds that we choose, not on the grounds they want. But nuclear war is all of a sudden, you know, we used to laugh about it. Yeah, it was not a reality, and now I worry about it. Vladimir Putin faced with a bullet in his head. And, and uh, unconditional surrender demands of the United States. Can you remind people board? the history yeah. of, of Putin? You mentioned it a moment ago, and, and now I want, I want to follow up on it, and then I, I promise I'm going to let you go. But uh, this is you said something you said. Vladimir Putin has a history of going scorched earth, literally. If he can't have it, no one can. It's inhabitable. Yes. No one's going to want to live there. I've decimated, destroyed it. it, it it's, it's a non-livable condition for rebuild, in essence. You, you look at him now with Ukraine, and if he did go there, and you did have a nuclear weapon that went off there, it's, in an, it's, it's uninhabitable. That's a victory for him, even if he gets isolated. And, and, and that is something I don't think he's afraid of at all. No, and the Russian people are behind him. The, the thing that I find just a joke is that when the Biden administration and people say, well, we get rid of Vladimir Putin, everything's going to be fine. No, it's not. You probably get somebody worse than Vladimir Putin. And anyway, he's quite popular in Russia right now. They think he's doing the right thing. They're all for Ukraine. They're all for this Ukraine war and having some kind of a victory in Ukraine. What Vladimir Putin came to power, so a little bit, I've studied him for 40 years. He came to power so that he was in the KGB, the Soviet Union collapsed. He thought it was the greatest tragedy in the 20, 20th century that the Soviet Union collapsed. He has spent his entire political career after he left the KGB rebuilding Mother Russia. He thinks this is the final jewel in the crown, this guy in Ukraine. The way he actually got into the presidency 20 years ago was that, that, Afghan, that um, Russia had a war in Chechnya, the terrorist war, breakaway province of Chechnya, and nobody could seem to win it. The political leadership at the time, it was, it just, they weren't winning it. There were bombs everywhere. And so Vladimir Putin's strong man, he comes to power by saying, I'll solve it. And he did. And what he did in the little country of Chechnya was he killed everybody. He, there were... The, I mean, it was brutal. I mean, it People was brutal. It, the inhumane type of war. There was no rules of engagement there were They targeted civilian targets. And in the capital of, of Chechnya, Grozny, it was said that there were not two bricks left on top of each other because he leveled the entire city. It was he turned it to rubble. Then everyone said, Vladimir Putin, he's a strong man. We need to pull Russia back into greatness. He knows the template. He knows if he doesn't win in Ukraine, there's some other guy who's going to say, okay, I'm going to make of Ukraine what we made of Chechnya. So I think Vladimir Putin knows how to do it. He knows war, he war always seems to consolidate power for leaders in Russia. You can, Russians like strong leaders. If you look throughout and that their means history, war. throughout their history for 500 years, the Russians only got rid of people, only got rid of leaders if they had a bad economy, and they were weak abroad. Now Putin is looking weak abroad. His economy is doing better. He cannot afford to be weak abroad and survive. 
Last question for you. What keeps you up at night? And I say that with me telling you what keeps me up at night. Yeah. And I want to get your thoughts. I worry that we're so focused now on Russia, Ukraine, and all of our military efforts, all of our mind uh, is going to this conflict, all of our aids going to this conflict. And what keeps me up at night now is Al-Qaeda and ISIS and a nuclear ram. Because we have an open border. We have a lot of military-aged men coming across that border. I was down at the border when we caught men coming in from Turkey. They were released to a Catholic charity after we witnessed them coming into America. And two of them, after they were being interrogated by Texas Department of Transportation, we called it, you know, the guys that basically aren't the border guards. The border said, let them go. And then we called Department, you know, Texas and said, hey, they came and got them, took them to Catholic Charities. They interrogated them, found out that two of the guys were airline pilots from Turkey. They dropped all their papers at the border, so they got a clean slate, right, a fresh start, so you can't deport them right back to Turkey. We knew they were from Turkey because of the language. And we found out that two of them were actual commercial pilots. They take them to the Catholic Charity. They drop all their papers at the border. They're now in America right now. They're in this country. I am terrified that this open border is allowing for another 9-11 to be, ha- to be planned by someone in the world. And I'm terrified also of Iran because we're not focusing on those two issues and we're out of Afghanistan. And, and, and I think intelligence-wise, we said we're going to leave it and we're going to literally leave it. We don't want intel. We're done with Afghanistan. You guys play there. That's what keeps you up at night. Is that... The right or wrong thing to keep me up at night. Are that's you a worried? Good th- I had not heard about the Catholic Charities, et cetera, but that certainly would keep me up at night. I think the key thing that keeps me up the most at night, though, is that for 20-some years we were focused on the forever wars in the Middle East, trying to build democracy in countries that couldn't build it, and we took our eye off China, and for 20 years the rise of China. That now we're getting distracted with Russia and Ukraine, and all of our, our resources and mental energy are going to that, again, taking our eye off China. If the United States is continuing to prosecute a war militarily that we could win economically, but we choose not to, then I worry that at the end of it all, China is, once China's in charge, we never get it back. China becomes, dominates the world. They'll deal with the nuclear weapons in Iran and every other way, the way they do. But once the United States is no longer the technological superpower, the economic superpower, once it's China... We lose our, li- our peace and prosperity for our children and our grandchildren's generation, and we don't ever get it back. We've been talking so much about Russia. We've been talking so much about China, Ukraine, World War III. Who better to talk about it than former Deputy National Security Advisor to Donald Trump, KT McFarlane. I-, I love seeing you. It's like every year at CPAC, I see people I'm like, you're still alive. We're still alive. <laughs> Right, we're still alive. I see you. I'll see you in a year, right? Like, I know I'm going to see my friends every year. Um, You were former Deputy National Security Advisor, and under Trump, you guys did an amazing job of keeping China in check, keeping Iran in check, keeping Russia in check. Uh, The Nord Stream pipeline was an issue where he said no to that and told the world, you don't need to do this. He warned Germany. You guys are idiots for taking this cheap oil. You're propping up Putin. He warned the U.K. that you guys are dependent on them, and this is going to bite you in the rear end. All of that has become true. Now it's an issue of national security on two fronts. We know now from Wuhan, and and our government's admitting it, okay, 
it, it came, COVID-19 came from Wuhan Institute of Virology. This was, they lied to us. They didn't help protect the world. China took advantage of that in many ways and said, hey, if we're going down, everybody else in the world is. They knew they had a problem. They knew they had an outbreak. They didn't protect the rest of the world. That's a problem. From, a, from an accountability standpoint, how shocked are you that our government isn't trying to hold China accountable for all of their lies just with COVID? Because it was a national security issue, in my opinion. You had an entire world shut down. And even now, people are like, oh, well, okay, fine. It happened from Wuhan. Who cares? It's China. We got to move on because we need China. Are you shocked by the ignorance of that just mindset of this administration? The irresponsibility of this administration. You know, China is presenting and has presented the only strategic threat to the United States probably in our history going back 100 or so years. China is the only country that can replace the United States, and it has every intention of doing it. It talks openly about it, of shoving the United States aside and creating a new world order led by China. Now they're doing it economically, politically, diplomatically, militarily, technologically, with trade, with everything. What I and others were concerned with when COVID started, when I was asked, I think when I first saw you here at CPAC two years ago or three years ago in 2020, what was it? It was just, we didn't know what it was. It was some kind of, you know, plague coming around the world. We're not sure from whom. We knew that it was from, or I and others knew that it came out of Wuhan, and it was the Chinese Biological Weapons Lab in Wuhan. The United States, turns out, we had a presence at that same lab, maybe in a different building or in a different wing, but it was a leak. And the Chinese, it's not that they deliberately leaked it. What happened was they realized once it leaked what they had, because they were seeing the deaths in the city of Wuhan. They had created a virus out of nature. They had supercharged it. It's called gain-of-function research. And once they realized how lethal it was and how contagious it was, they shut down China right away. They did not allow people from the city of Wuhan to travel anywhere in China. They, they basically shut the country down. What they opened up, however, was, the, was travel in and out of Wuhan. So Wuhan is a city that has a lot to do with the, the uh, garment industry in Italy. So they sent Wuhan residents, who probably were carrying the plague, and they went to Italy, and then from Italy it spread to Europe, and then it came to the United States. So did they employ and let loose a biological weapon on the world? No, but once they knew they had it, they employed it as such. That that should have been our wake-up call to say, okay, now let's look at everything else they're doing in the light of the fact that they're willing to do that to the world. You dealt with national security issues. I think one of the things, and it's a question that I, I, I don't believe has been answered yet, is this president, since he's become President Biden, has not stood up to China, in my opinion, on one major thing Correct. once. Correct. Is that, do you believe, possibly because Joe Biden's compromise, the Biden crime family's compromise, James Biden's compromise, Hunter Biden's compromise, and the amount of money and the funding and the billions of dollars in loans and the CEFE, I mean, Let's be clear, when we were releasing our strategic oil reserves, there was a tanker that was sold to CEFE of our oil reserves that went straight to China. Their filings, financial filings, still show Hunter Biden as being a part of that company, even though the White House said he had divested all of his foreign investments, there would be, and now he's an artist. We also know that a lot of his art's being bought by people in China. From a national security 
standpoint, being the former National Deputy Security with Trump advisor, when you look at this, do you think they are compromised and that's why they cannot stand up to China? I do think they're compromised, but I think it's even wider than that. I don't think it's a bag of money under the suitcase for a bribe for a specific incident. The Chinese are all over the place. The Chinese are major donors to think tanks. The Penn Biden Center, where all those classified documents were found, that's a center that was paid for by the Chinese. Now, who was at that center? Who were the scholars? These were people who left the Obama administration, went to a Chinese-funded think tank, and parked themselves there. And this is all the senior people who then became, you know, secretaries of state, et cetera, and the senior jobs in the Biden administration. Now, is that a bribe or is that, gee, China's our friend. China has paid for our salaries. China's so close to us. Let's kind of give them the benefit of the doubt again and again and again. And it's not just those particular individuals. It's the think tanks. It's the college campuses. The Chinese have been on a, a concerted effort to infiltrate the United States intellectual community, the thought leaders at the in highest the country, level. at the uh, highest levels for 20 years, and they've thrown around a lot of money to do it. So it's it's not just one or two individuals. It's the whole gang of them. It's the whole Washington elite. Republicans as well as Democrats, but most particularly Biden and the Democrats. Let's talk about China. And there's a headline that's not gotten a lot of attention, which has actually shocked me. And that's the fact that there's basically Chinese police stations in the United States of America to keep track and to keep in check people from China and the U.S. How are we even allowing that to happen? Again, it's the Chinese have infiltrated so many aspects of our society. We, they do have police stations, Chinese police stations in the American cities to track Chinese citizens. And that's, Dual not, a, citizens. that's not a conspiracy theory. No, and they're I want there. people to understand I mean, that. Like, they're there. And, like, when that story kind of broke, people are like, whatever, that's a conspiracy. I'm like, no, it's actually real. They really are doing this, and we're allowing it in America. They have think tanks that they pay for in colleges and high schools around the country. They're called Confucius Institutes. Those are spy tracks. I mean, they're, they're recruiting spies. They're recruiting, they're putting their own people there to act as spies and then trying to recruit Americans as spies. There's another example. If you want, if you have a company and you want to listen on the New York Stock Exchange, in order to have that privilege, you have to show all of your paperwork, your books, your accounting. You know, a forensic account, they look through every inch of every nickel that was spent anywhere. If you're a Chinese company, maybe a Chinese military company, what do you think you have to do to list on the stock exchange? Those rules were all waived. China can list on the New York Stock Exchange. Pension funds from American government pension funds, they're investing in those companies. So we have basically paid for the Chinese military buildup. Look, the Chinese, we, the thing that is so upsetting, because it's hard to wrap your head around the idea that there is a country that is using every aspect of its government and national and economic power to replace the United States, kick us on the ash heap of history, and then take over the world. Let's talk about the, the, the documents that the president has. He admitted in an interview, I think it was CBS or, or, or ABC, I can't remember, the exclusive interview, but it was recently, that he had classified documents dating back to his first years, his, his timeline he gave the American people, in the Senate. This is 40-plus years of documents, classified documents he's had his hands on. How concerned are you, again, former Deputy National Security Advisor, that a U.S. Senator had these documents outside of a skiff mm-hmm. and is admitting the timeline is over his entire 50-year career in Washington, and there seems to be really no accountability for this so far? Yeah, there's a special prosecutor, I get that. But these documents were everywhere, and a lot of them dealt with the same exact company or, or countries 
which the Biden crime family was profiting from. Documents were being told from places like Iran, China, about China, I should say, about Iran, about Ukraine, about Russia. Look, the, the Biden crime family and the, the people affiliated and on the edges of it are committing an enormous crime against the American people. They're getting rich on it. But they're, the thing that I find, I guess, even more upsetting is, look, I expect politicians to, be, to lie, cheat, steal, and get bribed. What really is upsetting is that the Justice Department, that's supposed to represent the American people, is treating this very differently. I mean, they created the whole Russiagate spy thing, and then they prosecuted President Trump. They now have direct evidence, Hunter Biden's laptop, etc., and they're not doing a thing to go after those people. And then the complicit media, so that the media, even some members of the media who do want to do their job, people like Ben Ferguson, um, what are you doing? You're shut down. And so it, it, it's a really scary time in America. I mean, the First Amendment rights, you can't even get up and speak about that. The New York Post tried to talk about the Hunter Biden laptop, right? They're kicked off of social media. They're going to be prosecuted by the Justice Department. It's, it's, to me, the adver- adversaries are not Republicans versus Democrats anymore. It's the, the people of the country versus the Washington power elite of both political parties in cahoots with the mainstream media and social media and the corrupt influences that they all seem to be part of. Uh, and, and hopefully some of our predictions are wrong. All right, don't forget to share our podcast. We'll be back here tomorrow, so make sure you download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, iHeartRadio app, Apple, and make sure you write us a five-star review. And also, download Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head and Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.